This podcast is produced by the Center for Deployment Psychology at the Uniformed Services University of the Health Sciences. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. In addition, references to any specific companies, products, processes, or services does not necessarily constitute or imply endorsement by the Uniformed Services University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Welcome to CDP's podcast, Practical for Your Practice. We give you actionable intel to support what you do. One colleague to another. Hello, everyone. This is Andy Santanello, Senior Military Behavioral Health Psychologist at the Center for Deployment Psychology. And today, Jenna's with me. Hey, Jenna. How's it going, Andy? It's going pretty good. How are yeah. you? I'm, I'm excited to be here. Wide awake you know, to talk about sleep. <laughs> I actually got a good night's sleep last night for a change, so I don't have any questions for you today. That's okay. Uh, for well, for you or our esteemed colleague who've got with us, Dr. Diana Dolan. Hey, Diana. Hey, everyone. I'm Diana, glad to be you, here, too. Well, we're super excited to have you here. Do you want to tell us um, a little bit about who you are and what you do at the center? Sure. So I'm one of the psychologists at CDP that is a trainer for all of the behavioral sleep medicine courses. So I train in things like cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, sleep disorders, assessments, circadian rhythm issues. There's lots of fun ways that we'll talk about today that sleep can go wrong. Um, but before I, before I was on board with CDP, I was in the Air Force and worked with service members who are experiencing sleep problems then. And I have a diplomat in behavioral sleep medicine. So uh, definitely a self-appointed sleep nerd and happy to talk about all things sleep. <laughs> and she's got the qualifications for that, that designation. Thanks for, for being here with us. So we wanted to chat to you with you today a little bit about sleep and the work that um, we do with veterans and service members and how sleep often comes up and you know specifically around some of the maybe mistakes or pitfalls that clinicians well-meaning clinicians might make when addressing sleep. And so what would you say are some of those common mistakes or pitfalls? One of the biggest ones that I see is providing all patients that come in with sleep issues with what we call sleep hygiene. So this idea that there's a kind of a one size fits all, if someone's having a sleep problem, we'll just give them the sleep hygiene bandaid and that, you know, that's going to be enough. I think part of the reason that's so confusing is what do we even mean when we say sleep hygiene? You know, if, if our patients go out and Google this, because we know they do, there's a laundry list of things that they're going to see, you know, uh, don't go to bed hungry, right? Have a dark bedroom, have a cool bedroom, spend lots of money to have this super comfortable mattress. Make sure you have earplugs, have chamomile tea, um, you know, don't have alcohol right before bed. So there's this laundry list of tips. And the problem is that this may help some people with sleep problems, but it's not going to help everybody with sleep problems. So when we tell our patients, Hey, I just, I want you to do this thing called sleep hygiene, or we just give them a handout on them on it. I think we're kind of giving them the message that sleep isn't really that important that there, you know, there's just a couple things. If you do these things, your sleep will be fixed. It's not that important. And maybe underneath that, the idea that, Hey, if you've tried these things and your sleep still isn't better, maybe that's on you. Try harder. Mm-hmm. And I think that handout piece, um, you know, kind of thinking back to my Air Force days as well as we, we always did, we had the sleep hygiene handouts. And again, I think 
this is, as you said, it's well-intentioned, but um, it sounds like one of the issues maybe we hear sleep problem, we hear these issues and we jump to this handout when instead we should be doing a more thorough assessment perhaps. Um, and maybe, you know, what are your, some thoughts around why providers don't do that? What gets in the way of them doing a really good, accurate sleep, sleep assessment? That's a great question because, you know, Jenna, as you're saying that, I'm thinking most of my patients actually want to talk about their sleep. You know, most folks are, are very comfortable talking about sleep. We ask some very awkward questions sometimes with what we do. Uh, people are, are looking forward to talking about it. So it's not, I think, an uncomfortable topic. I really think it is that we may not have the sense of how important sleep is in a patient's life. I think we often get focused on the daytime, which makes sense. That's when we see the patient, but we forget that there's this eight ish other hours of the patient's life where they're, you know, maybe sleeping or not, but potentially in bed, trying to make sleep happen. And the patient may have their own frustrations. They have, may have their own experiences about that. So I do think the point of just asking is really important. Uh, you know, what is your sleep like? And then how do you feel about your sleep? You know, how happy are you with the way you're sleeping? I think it's the one thing that we as providers, many, like, I don't know if there's a provider out there who hasn't had a poor night's sleep, right? Like we all experience this too. And maybe that's part of it. We're like, oh yeah, you just had, you had a bad night. You're having trouble sleeping right now. I've, I've had something similar. Um, and maybe that makes us kind of breeze past it or, or I don't know. Um, but I think that assessment piece is so important and we spend so much time assessing symptoms of other disorders that it is kind of fascinating. I don't know if, if it's a resource and training issue or you know, other, other barriers that get in the way. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with this idea of symptoms of other disorders. I do think when I talk to providers, a lot of times there's this idea that the sleep problem is just a secondary issue. You know, it's not that important or, it may be important, but important as part of something else, like part of a depression diagnosis or part of a PTSD diagnosis. And so we think, well, that will just kind of clear up because we're working on these other quote unquote, bigger issues. Right. And, and sometimes we do see them as bigger issues, but if we look at, you know, if we look at outcomes, what we know is sleep problems are the number one residual symptom after effective treatment for whatever else might be going on for that patient. So if you have a patient with depression, you treat the depression, chances are they're still going to have some sleep problems. Same thing with trauma or anxiety. So I think it's really easy for us to get caught up in that. Oh, we're going to, we're going to treat the, the quote unquote big picture, right? We're going to treat the primary diagnosis, but we have to remember that sleep problems really, they just take on a life of their own, you know, and, and sometimes they're not going anywhere unless we do something about it. You're really speaking to effectiveness. And, you know, I think what you mentioned about giving the handout right away can be kind of dismissive, probably not going to be 100% effective, especially if we're working with somebody who, you know, has sleep issues that are not going to be made any better by just kind of getting a, a better mattress, right? Um, and so, you know, one of the things that you were just talking about was uh, noticing sleep problems in the context of maybe treating another disorder like depression or PTSD. And I know for me, one of the concerns often is I don't want to get too off track and sort of chase down sleep problems, almost in the way that I would con conceptualize like a crisis of the week. And maybe that's, maybe that's the wrong way of approaching it, especially if one of the tendencies we have as clinicians is to maybe dismiss sleep issues. 
So one of the other questions I had for you was um, around, you know, different sleep problems. You mentioned earlier that sleep hygiene could be helpful for some things, but not others. What what are some of the other risks of maybe just sort of jumping into here, follow this handout, or even like doing something like CBTI, which we know is an effective treatment for insomnia versus doing more assessment? Well, I think one of the big take homes that a lot of people don't realize is there's a lot of different ways sleep can go wrong. <laughs> you know, we could have a whole a whole day where we talk about when sleep goes bad and list some of those things. So, insomnia is a problem. A lot of folks have insomnia, which is a, a poor ability to get to sleep. But a lot of folks are also actually just sleep deprived, where they don't really have a good opportunity. And still, some other folks are trying to sleep maybe at times that are not really good for their body. Maybe they do have shift work, or they you know they have a different schedule. Other people may have nightmares or unusual sleep behaviors. So it, it's really hard to say here's the sleep hygiene handout that's going to work when there's so many different ways sleep can go wrong. Now we have some great treatments for sleep. You mentioned, for example, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, which I train on. So I'm obviously a huge proponent of, but you know, what I like to say about CBTI, Andy, is it works, it works well, it works well for insomnia. (laughs) So it doesn't work well for all those other things. So again, just jumping too quickly to a treatment or just giving a handout, I think that word dismissive, um, whether we mean it to or not, I think the patient feels it. You know, and I've I've heard you talk about sleep before, so this is kind of a leading question, but it can be dangerous too, right? If we just jump to insomnia and it is something like obstructive sleep apnea and we don't get our medical colleagues in to evaluate um, that, that's not, we're not going to necessarily treat the, the obstructive sleep apnea, but we can help, you know, advocate for our client to be evaluated. And then certainly if that's the problem, there's, there's a role for behavioral health providers there as well um, in terms of compliance, but any, any thoughts around things like that too, or tips you have for collaborating with others? Yeah, definitely. I think I will have to say that's one of the things that I think drew me into this field of working with sleep disorders is that there is such a a possibility for collaboration with physicians or uh, technicians and behavioral health providers. So it's not, a turf issue, right? This is my turf or your turf. We all have something to give to help patients with sleep problems. So I love that. Um, but Jenna, your point is very well taken that there are just some things that from a behavioral perspective, we're not going to treat. I, I can't treat with behavior change narcolepsy, right? That's a disorder where there's a a hormone uh, deficiency. I can't treat sleep apnea. They need a CPAP treatment for that. Um, But I can treat insomnia. I can work with nightmares and I can do it. As you mentioned, what we call adjunctive treatments. I can help with CPAP compliance, or I can help people who have with narcolepsy with their quality of life you know, how their day goes. So I think part of this piece is also considering uh, where we fit in the care of these patients and looking at, is this something I'm trained to help with, or do I need to refer this patient? And I I think the other fine line that sometimes we maybe feel uncertain to walk is the medication side of the house too, where we have so many clients coming to us who have either been prescribed something or taking over the counter things. And, um, and I, I, so want you to talk a little bit about melatonin at some point, because I think, again, we've got so many clients coming in that we're trying to work with who are taking things like, you know, um, I was going to say no dose. It's the opposite of that. Whatever the sleep inducing version of that is, um, or Benadryl or, you know, melatonin um, 
I have, you know, I have, I have kids and I have adolescents who have friends who are all on melatonin. And it just seems like there's this, this sort of education piece that we need to do responsibly again, in collaboration with medical providers. Thoughts about that. Yeah, absolutely. I like to borrow a lot of uh, military jargon. So the staying in your lane (laughs) is definitely an important phrase to me. So absolutely, I'm not going to be out there making medication recommendations. And to be fair, you know, if you if you go to some of the conferences on sleep, or you hear sleep medicine docs talk, they don't want to rush to medication either. A lot of them very much are looking for providers with this kind of behavioral treatment training to refer to on their end. Um, But I do think it's important to be mindful that when folks we work with are trying things to help them sleep. I think it's, isn't it dream easy or there's all of these, you know, Z quill and, you know, all things like that. I can't, yeah, I can't remember. I think the, uh, the opposite of no doze is just doze. Doze on, doze on. (laughs) Well, I, I tell you, I'm clearly in the wrong line of work because we could all get rich if we came up with one of those things that actually worked for, for a number of people. Um, but I'm mindful that these, these are still active substances, right. That can have an impact on our body. So I do think there may be a place for some things. So, you know, again, I'm, I'm all about behavior change. So it might shock you to hear this. I'm not completely anti-melatonin, you know, but I do think that it's all about for the right for the right fit for the right person at the right amount at the right time. These are things that patients can't really figure out on their own. There's just not good information out there on, again, on Google. And these are things that we don't necessarily know unless we get training on or, or we, you know, we seek to learn more. And that's a, such a good point. Uh, you know, I was thinking about a few years back, my wife and I went and bought a new mattress and the salesperson was presenting themselves as an expert on sleep. So they were talking about (laughs) like, it was really interesting. They were talking about melatonin and they're talking about, you know, sleep hygiene. And uh, so there, there is sort of this double-edged sort of, I think sleep and sleep problems are getting more attention in our culture at large. And when that happens, then a little bit of information gets exaggerated. So, I guess maybe another question I had for you is if you're working with a client who has some unhelpful ideas and expectations about sleep, maybe around melatonin or something else, do you have any thoughts about how you might gently work with a client who's really believes like melatonin is what's doing it for him? But we kind of wonder maybe if it's not. Absolutely. I, well, I think the first thing that I like to do is acknowledge their effort right? You're, you're really trying hard because you want to sleep better. So I can tell how frustrated you are with your sleep. You wouldn't have gone through all these different things. You wouldn't be here today. And yet you're taking this say melatonin and you're still here today. So there's still some things with your sleep that are not fully working for you. What are those things? You know, and I think that's an important discussion. I think for me too, one of the things I will say again, as not as much as I'm, I want people to feel a sense of confidence that they can make their own changes in their sleep. And I would rather them not feel they need a, you know, a substance all the time. I'm not going to call them on it and say, I want you to stop taking melatonin right now. This is a horrible thing. Why are you on this? No, one's ever going to come back and see me. If I talk Stop drinking 10 cups of coffee a day now. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So it's really more about, you know, what can we do right now? And then as, as I get to know them, then, Hey, you know, you're making all these changes 
you're doing really well. Do you think you still need this at the same amount? And, and that's just a, a discussion we have together. I love that collaborative approach. And I think that's very familiar to, again, if, if you're a provider and, and you're not as, as shored up on some of the sleep interventions, that sense of being collaborative in an EBP is something we can carry over in our sleep work as well. And I, you know, I, go ahead, Andy. Well, I was just going to say, like, I'm just noticing and, and listening to how you would approach that. It's really the, the other side of the curiosity that you brought earlier on when you were talking about not just sort of jumping into here's the handout, let's do some assessment here. You know, this is another way of expressing curiosity about hmm, that's kind of interesting that you're doing that. Let's see how it's actually working for you and putting in the hands of the client to ultimately make the decision. Absolutely. And again, we have talked about, we have some very effective interventions for sleep problems, but they also only work if the patients do them. <laughs> so yeah, right. And they're yeah. hard. They're hard things. I think that's the other sometimes why we maybe back away is what we're asking our clients to do or what we think we're going to need to ask our clients to do are really tough things. And, and maybe, I don't know what your experience has been in terms of supervising, you know, you've certainly supervised tons of, of folks who are using both BBTI and CBTI. How do, you, how do you help shore up the clinicians to help their clients really engage in these different behaviors that might be very challenging for them to do? And I know we're kind of getting into tips right now, but I, I think I'm, I'm curious about that. Well, you know, actually, Jenna, I don't think it's that much of a different approach when I'm working with providers than it is when I'm working with patients is really just to acknowledge and validate. This sounds crazy. You know, you know, some of the treatments for sleep disorders really do sound counterintuitive to what you would think, you know, Hey, you've, you've had the sleep hygiene thing, for example, this handout you've been given, as you mentioned, Jenna, in the air force, there was just this one that got passed around. And now I'm telling you, don't worry about this thing you've been told for years <laughs> to do and try something completely different. And oh, by the way, it's going to be a really hard sell to your patients and they're not going to want to do it maybe. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of effort for them. Yeah, that's not fun. Not a fun conversation. Um, but I just acknowledge it up front. And I always talk about, well, why are we doing this, right? It's the long term. Um, it's because what's going on right now isn't working, right? This focus on short term. So let's take a, a longer picture. And then when they get to that point of, having those discussions with their patient about these changes, I ask them afterwards, how are you doing as a provider? Not just how did your patient take that, but how are you doing? Are you okay with that? Because if you don't believe in it, if you're not confident in it, your patient's not going to get buy-in either. Jenna, just to kind of build on your point about providers being resistant, Diana, I wonder if some clinicians are maybe hesitant to sort of jump into working on sleep because it doesn't seem like you know, a meaty therapy-like issue, you know, in other words, that maybe it's not the most important or most impactful issue. And I could see maybe some of our colleagues having some difficulty prioritizing sleep. Have you noticed anything like that sort of in, in your training of other clinicians? And, and how might you, you know, kind of speak to that, whether or not treating sleep is, is actually real, honest-to-goodness therapy? Yeah. Well, obviously again, I'm biased. <laughs> this is an area where I'm very biased because this is what I do <laughs> primarily clinically, but yes, I, you know, I will tell you when I first started getting into working with patients with sleep disorders, I got a lot of questions from colleagues, very well-meaning, but is this really therapy? Like, how is this practicing psychology? How is this? This isn't really emotional. You're just giving patients sleep tips. 
But I will tell you the first patient that ever hugged me was a patient that I worked with, with CBTI and she had had insomnia for 42 years. She had not slept through the night. And by the end of seven weeks of the treatment, she was able to sleep seven hours solid and just the look on her face, the relief. And when it was time to wrap up treatment, she just, you know, leaned over and gave me a big hug. And that's when it really hit me that this is such a powerful intervention. This is therapy. If people can sleep better, then they feel better throughout their day. Everything about her looked different, her mood, her affect. And now I notice that with a lot more of my patients that the way they look and interact at the beginning of treatment before they're not sleeping well and after. And so I love to highlight that to providers who are newly learning some of these treatments. Tell me how your patient compares now in terms of how they look in session with you. Tell me about your patient's affect or the way they're talking. And so many providers I work with will say, you know, I never thought about that, but my patient was smiling a lot more today, or, or my patient, you know, came in with their makeup done or, you know, little things that we may not notice. So yes, maybe I'm not asking people to, uh, you know, when we talk about sleep, I'm not asking people to talk about things, um, as potentially uncomfortable as trauma or as deep, maybe as, as core beliefs, but we are really working through something that's had a huge impact on this person's life. That's draining them of their resources. And what a way to make a difference. That's such a striking story. And I'm glad you, I'm glad you shared that because I do think it's pretty inspiring. And I think when we're thinking about our population, which of course our population that we're really focused on is military connected, whether that's active duty service members, Guard Reserve veterans, and even family members, you know, are are just as important, obviously. Um, Sleep is also sort of a good, as you mentioned earlier, kind of a good entry point. It's, it's something that's impacting them. That's important that if we can make a shift and a change and get them to that better place where, you know, they're, they have taken back some territory, they can actually function a little bit better. It it may actually even put them in a better place to then engage in other EBPs. So we can get back into that whole, like chicken or the egg, do you treat? Um, You guys did a great webinar way back, which we can maybe um, link for this. Um, do we do trauma treatment first or do we do sleep treatment first? Um, But I think that's a really good point to think about too, is who's the client in front of you and what are they prioritizing and where are you going to have that hook to be able to um, collaborate together, you know, in their treatment plan and order things in a way that makes sense versus jumping to, I'm going to treat the trauma first, or I'm going to treat whatever the other thing is first. It may make sense to really get that foothold, um, get them some restorative sleep and, and then move into something else. I love that all about meeting the patient where they're at. Um, And also Jenna, and just a really great point about maybe if you're sleeping better, you can handle some of these uh, really effortful treatments that we often ask, ask folks to do. And, you know, I do think there's, again, it's sleep, right? It doesn't sound as, uh, as emotional as you might think, but we really get to know folks when we talk about their sleep. It is really in some ways an intimate part of our lives. And if it's all right, if I share another patient example, I've had, for example, a patient that came in and, uh, he wasn't sleeping well, he was on four different medications for sleep. I talked with him a little bit about his sleep. And then I just asked him kind of very gently when you're laying in bed awake, what are you thinking about? And, you know, Janet, no one had ever asked him that he had had sleep problems for, I don't know how many years, no one had ever asked him that. Wow. And 
he looked over at me and that's when he shared about a trauma he had experienced and he would have, he was basically having nightmares. He hadn't told any providers about related to this trauma. And so he was trying with the four meds, trying to just knock himself out, but no one had ever asked him. (laughs) And that's, and that's remarkable, right? That's such a straightforward question. Um, And I think that Often I've said, like, when you do a good sleep assessment or when you take somebody through kind of through their day and their behaviors and their habits and what's happening when they're laying there, what are they thinking about? We learn so much more outside of sleep. um, And it's such a worthwhile thing to do. And so, you know, it may seem that's the other piece is it could feel like a cost. Um, I don't have the time or I need to be focusing on this or I don't, you know, if I'm, if, especially if I'm in a, you know, in a primary care setting, um, I have to be really focused, but the the money you get back. I'm trying to think of the investment, you know, what you get back from that investment is just huge, you know, in terms of, of other things that are going to help you with your case conceptualization, with your treatment plan, all, all of the things you need to address. So it, yeah, it's going to take some time. You got to slow down, but it's really worth it. And I think it's a great example of how intervention is often assessment too. They're not mutually exclusive. You know, we, we can we can learn something about something else we weren't even intending to assess just by addressing the problem in front of us. So we really appreciate you being with us here today, Diana. And I know we're just sort of scratching the surface of this topic. We always like to end our podcast with a few pieces of actionable intel. So um, just some practical advice that you might have for clinicians who want to get more competent when addressing sleep effectively with their clients. So do you have a couple of pieces of advice for our listeners? Absolutely. I think the first thing to really summarize what we've been talking about is simply to incorporate asking about sleep into the assessment that you already do. So ask your patients, what is your sleep like? Are you happy with it? What's going on when you're trying to sleep? Right. So getting as much detail as you can about that, um, and not, uh, not assuming that whatever is going on with their sleep falls under everything else. Right. So giving it some weight in the time you spend in the assessment. But I think the other thing, the other point I've made, which sounds really negative is don't do sleep hygiene. Uh, I don't necessarily mean that. I think there are absolutely some cases where, you know, sleep hygiene could very well be helpful, you know, in, in, someone's just starting to have a few nights of sleep, but uh, I'm not going to leave you with don't do this without suggesting a do try this. I think the last thing that I would leave everyone with is look into options. If you're interested in getting trained in some of these treatments for sleep disorders. So probably the most common sleep disorder you see in your practice is insomnia. So look into training for cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia and try it with your patients. Uh, Shameless plug here. Again, I'm a CBTI trainer for CDP. So I would love it if you would join us for one of CDP's trainings, because then I could maybe get to meet you. That would be really Don't worry. She doesn't get any kickbacks. So (laughs) just to make that clear, no return on investment is just the joy and happiness of disseminating evidence-based psychotherapies, right? It, well, it is joyful, but I would love to hear if, you know, if the podcast is what started your interest and you join us for one of the trainings, I would love to hear that. So, um, you know, join the trainings, let me know in the chat. Uh, So we'll post some resources, I think in, in the notes for today that we'll have where we have some trainings for CBTI. Um, if you can't commit to a full you know, full two-day workshop, we have a webinar that talks about the sleep basics that might help guide some of your questions. Um, But definitely consider some more training. Um, 
And then I said last thing, but I guess one last thing to consider is remember there's so many different sleep disorders. So your patients may not just have insomnia, they may have other things. So start with CBTI. We'll, we talk in our version of that workshop about where you can uh, next steps for other sleep disorders and go from there, but definitely I'd love to see you on one of our workshops. Those are fantastic. So and these usually are actionable intel summarizers. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put myself out there and try something new. So no pressure. to summarize, no pressure. oh my gosh, how do I follow you as a guru? Uh, the the most important thing is ask. Make sure you're asking about sleep, asking some detailed questions about sleep. Um, and in some ways, I think about it as like, what were questions you wish somebody would ask you if you were having trouble sleeping? That may even sort of be a guide. Uh, how is what's getting in their way? Uh, resist that urge to hand out that sleep hygiene handout and and go right to sleep hygiene, but but do that thorough assessment. If you're interested, seek out additional training. Uh, and again, CDP has a, a lot of offerings. We we will definitely post links to the webinars that we've we've hosted already that are related to sleep. Uh, but highly recommend that two day CDP. BTI training. There's also a circadian rhythms uh, disorder training that, that happens periodically. So we'll make sure to put some information about that. And um, I'm also going to throw out there too, just in terms of things you can do on your own is we, um, and, and Diana was a big part of that team developed a uh, island in Second Life that's called the Snoozam that is serves the purpose of, of providers being able to, in an asynchronous way, go engage with content around sleep problems and learn more about it and um, get exposure to, to different aspects of assessment and treatment. And if you're interested in that, definitely reach out to, uh, to us and, and check out our, we'll put the link to check out our virtual islands um, in, the, in the show notes as well. So lots of opportunities to engage increase that training. And I do hope that you get to do a training with Diana because she's fantastic as a trainer for sure. We are incredibly grateful that you sat down and had this conversation with us. And I foresee you coming back as a frequent guest on the podcast to touch on some of the other aspects of sleep and sleep disorders. So thank you so much for all you do for CDP and for joining us today. And, and listeners out there, hope you enjoyed that and feel free to Leave comments and, and questions in the chat as well or in the uh, where you leave comments. <laughs> That's it. So thanks, Andy. And we hope to see you next time on Practical for Your Practice. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Practical for Your Practice. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, and join in on the conversation in the comments. Until next time.